Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations, where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 53 of the podcast, the topic is Manufacturing Millennials. Our guest is Jake Hall, podcaster and the Manufacturing Millennial, and also business development manager at Fine Zylstra, a Grand Rapids, Michigan, US-based systems integrator. In this conversation, we talk about the future generation in manufacturing and how we convince young people as well as how companies can make themselves attractive to this generation, and even more importantly, empowering the existing workforce. Augmented is a podcast for industry leaders and operators, hosted by futurist Trun Arne Unheim, presented by Tulip, the frontline operations platform, and associated with MFG Works, the industrial upskilling community launched at the World Economic Forum. Each episode dives deep into a contemporary topic of concern across the industry and airs at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time every Wednesday. Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast, industrial conversations that matter. Jake, how are you? I'm doing phenomenal. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah, it's great. You have such a fantastic interest, which seems to be, it's a mystery to me why this is even a topic, but... uh, but it is a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jake, you are, you're calling yourself the manufacturing millennial. Um, before we get into you, uh, are you actually a millennial? I am. I'm, I'm, I'm 31. So right, right in that middle uh, age gap. Got it. Okay. Well, just wanted to verify this. So, you know, um, I understand, you know, your background is more like in product design, and, but also in engineering, uh, uh, including in biomedical engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've worked in automation, I guess, uh, you know, throughout your career in various places. And you, you now work for Fame Silstra, mm-hmm. uh, an industrial tech uh, company. We can talk more about that. But your true passion, the one that has gotten you all over YouTube, is, is you know, communicating with and about uh, how young people, millennials, should take an interest in manufacturing. Absolutely. Give, give me a sense of why that passion evolved. What, what was it that spurred this interest? Yeah. So I was, after graduating from college, I was in the automation distribution world for around seven years. And during that time, I had the opportunity to work with a wide variety of machine builders and systems integrators and manufacturers and end users. And I began to really notice the gap in age within the workforce. Uh, and and it really kicked off when I went to several different conferences. And most of these conferences, the, the age gap was, was huge. 99% were at over the age of 40, 45 years old. And once in a while, I would see another millennial my age at these automation and manufacturing conferences. And that made me really wonder why. Why is there not more younger generations involved with manufacturing? Is it a leadership perspective? Is it they don't want to send younger people to these conferences? Is it an overall reflection of, of the industry? And, you know, doing some research, I found out, holy cow, there is this massive gap in, in the world of manufacturing between the older generation who's been working in manufacturing for 20, 25 years who made a career out of it, and this upcoming generation of millennials and Gen Zs 
of they are choosing different career paths. They're not viewing manufacturing as a viable career, an option. They're going to get four-year degrees and do a bunch of other stuff that's out there and not really entertain manufacturing. So I said, why is that? And there's really a few reasons behind it. There's the idea of manufacturing has always been presented as, you know, this uh, this, this dark, dirty, dangerous environment that has no potential for, for opportunity or technology or innovation. It's just kind of this old process. Um, and for me, I, I said, I'll, I wanted to dispel that myth. You know, I, was I'm there, any, or, was there everything, was there anything in, in, in that though? I mean, the myth comes from somewhere. Oh, I mean, it, it's, it's been, it's been preached since kids, you know, met one for guidance counselors in high school saying, Hey, what do you want to do with your career? Oh, go get your four-year degree and do this. There was, there was never like options. And I remember this because personally for me, it was never an option that was discussing, Hey, don't go to college, go and get an apprenticeship, go and get a two-year associate's degree and work in mechatronics, work in, in manufacturing. It's one of those things where I think for so long as society, we push that you know, manufacturing was was a a career that didn't strive in innovation, didn't strive in technology, didn't create to a person's own purpose and, and impact to, to to their job. Um, it was kind of one of those things where if you couldn't do anything else, you did manufacturing. Um, so absolutely, there was there was um, you know facts and, and 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 stuff that backed up this idea that manufacturing wasn't this attractive. Uh, industry for for new generations, um, you know. So I said, I want to. I want to. Is there a time lag? I mean, because you know, you and I are both convinced that manufacturing is becoming a very exciting industry. Is there a kind of a time lag because all these guidance counselors and parents and and society overall has just sort of decided that the mantra is, you know, let's be, let's go to college, let's not do this risky career path or you know, there's there's still this sense that factories are a certain way. Uh, I mean, what do you? Where did you start when you you said I want to change this? Because, like you said, uh, you know, uh, the age gap here, uh, the labor shortage. You know, it, it is a serious issue. But at the same time, there is so much going on in manufacturing. Where 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 did you start? Which part of it? What were you convinced was gonna uh, bring the young people back into the conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, so that's kind of where it started with the manufacturer millennial was this idea of I need to create conversation around the technology innovation that's happening in manufacturing. So that's kind of how I started was I need to use social media, which is what this new generation is is wrapped in between between videos and content and share the technology that's happening in manufacturing, but then also share it back to the manufacturers and the end users saying you need to implement new technology to attract that generation. Cause it's really a two weeks, a two way street in a lot of senses, new workers need to look at manufacturing as opportunity for innovation, but at the same time, manufacturers and end users need to implement new technologies that aren't 25 year old or 20 year old manufacturing processes to attract it, right? Man- manufacturing has this diversity of solutions. When, when we look at, it's no longer just robotics. It's augmented reality. It's additive manufacturing. It's big data. It's the idea that we have machines that are connected to the cloud now in the world of IoT. 
Um, and, and for so long, we had this idea where if people love technology, they didn't turn to manufacturing, they would turn to the world of dot-com or the Silicon Valley or the other, you know, virtual apps that were out there because that's where the people who love designing and, 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 you know, working with innovation went was not manufacturing. Um, so, you know, I, it goes back to, to kind of reference your question. It, it goes back to, you know, I don't know the exact date, but I read some articles, you know, 15, 20 years ago is when this whole thing started where there was such a big push for four year degrees in education they didn't turn to manufacturing as a as a opportunity because you didn't need a four year degree to get into manufacturing. You could walk out into a floor, work on a manufacturing line, work up to a, a leader on that manufacturing line, to a floor operator, to a manager, to a controls engineer. So there's a lot of opportunity within manufacturing that didn't require a degree for growth. Um, so so that's kind of that idea of dispelling the myth of, you know, the one, the only way you're going to get into manufacturing is if you go and get a four-year engineering degree, because that's one thing that I was told, hey, if you want to work in robotics automation, you have to get an engineering degree. And that's, that's not the case anymore. And, and trying to push those conversations around, hey, you don't need a four-year engineering degree. You can go to an associate's local community college, graduate with almost zero debt and get a mechatronics or robotics programming or PLC degree, or the fact you don't even need to do that. You can just go and get an electrician's apprentice and, and go from an, uh, a journeyman's apprentice to a master electrician to building panels and designing stuff to a controls engineer. And I and, and where I work at Fine Zelstra, we have dozens of those case stories where we have senior controls engineers now who've been doing robotics and PLC programming for 10 years who started out as a journeyman's electrician out of high school. Um, and, and that's and that's the kind of discussion that we need to have is how do you create the the training to attract people in the manufacturing who aren't going to four year colleges, but we still need not, not not to jump back, but we still need people to get engineering degrees. I'm not saying if 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 you are passionate about getting an engineering degree, go get it. We need people who who are getting those manufacturing and those engineering degrees, but the diversity of that manufacturing offers. Uh, really can fill a bunch of different needs. And it's not even just robotics and programming. It's people in welding, people in skilled trades, dye makers. Um, there, there's so much diversity that manufacturing offers and what people are passionate so, about. So when I hear you speak, I mean, I kind of am starting to understand the attraction. I mean, obviously seeing you on video and you're very uh, engaging. Um, but tell us a little bit about your own journey. I mean, no one starts out thinking they're going to get thousands and thousands of, of YouTube downloads. What, what was your expectation when you started and how, how did it all kind of, how did you get the ball rolling? Because you've been immensely successful, especially, I guess, on YouTube, but also obviously with your podcast generally. How, how, how's the journey been and, and yeah. where did you start and sort of how, when did you realize that you were onto something that really got people's attention? Mm-hmm. Well, my main contents is on LinkedIn. I do post on YouTube occasionally, but my main following and, and where I'm posting daily is, is, on, is on LinkedIn as a platform. And that really kind of kicked off for me when COVID started in 2020. Um, the fact that I was in outside sales um, and I didn't have the ability to reach my current clientele of engineers that I was working with uh, because everyone was working from home. And I knew engineers, I, mean, me, I knew emails and phone calls were all going to get me so far. 
So I started posting content and product reviews on LinkedIn and was connected with a lot of the people I worked with daily on there as a way to do a soft touch and educational sharing on, on social media. And from there, my, my content and my videos that I shared and the videos that I made and the content I posted just attracted people outside of my network. So, I mean, originally when we started, I had like 400 connections and um, I turned, you know, the connections request off so people could follow me directly because that's a lot of times easier. Um, and over, over a year's period of time, I've have over 21,000 followers now and um, over 10 million views on content. So it's really exciting to see how just really there was really no one in the industry and, and there was before, but there really no one was in the industry before COVID who just said, I'm going to be a, a, an influencer in a sense to create conversation and share content around the automation and manufacturing space. It's interesting that I sort of misspoke about YouTube. I, you know, I obviously know that your videos were successful, but how do you explain this? Because maybe it's my head that's not working right, because I would have sort of expected that for the audience that you actually are reaching, that YouTube would be the medium for it. And indeed, you know, these are videos. But you're saying LinkedIn has been, uh, because to, in my mind, you know, LinkedIn is sort of full of white collar people not mm -hmm. not you know and do you know a little bit about who it is that follows you i mean are these engineers who have degrees and are sort of just understanding this uh you know from that angle or are they really uh are they the journeymen of the world who have you know who are starting on their careers yeah. uh you know where are they in their journey the it's, most avid listeners and viewers it's such a diversity of people that i'm connected with so definitely i would say 20 to 30% of people who engage in, and like my content are the C-level director uh, people. Then there is the 40 to 50% who are the, the engineers, the designers of the world. And then there's that remaining percentage, which is people who fall into marketing or to sales or to really people who are just starting out in their career. So there's a great diversity of end users and manufacturers and product companies and integrators and machine builders. So there's really a nice diversity within LinkedIn. But what LinkedIn offers for me is a very focused group around manufacturing because YouTube's and, and like people say, why don't you post content on YouTube or Facebook? I can, but you don't get that target audience that you want because a lot of the people aren't focused in your industry. And that's the one thing on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I can really focus on people who are in manufacturing and, and, and nothing else. And that network that I'm building there allows me to reach a more focused group. So as I connect with educators in the industry for uh, people who are, who are educators or professors in colleges or universities or people who are teaching um, uh, high school classes around robotics and automation, I'm able to go and then reach out to them, have conversations and then from there, I'm able to speak to colleges and high schools about manufacturing and automation. So it's it's really a, a great approach where I can work with manufacturers on LinkedIn, but then also I can have conversations with the right people in the education system to talk about manufacturing as a career opportunity as well. Uh, that it's fascinating. I'm just super curious. I mean, do you do you sort of use all of the tools of LinkedIn to get this? Uh, you know. You, you strategically reach out to people and use sort of all of LinkedIn's channels or are you more 
sort of benefiting from the fact that LinkedIn in and of itself, kind of the people who are uh, interested in that your, your content are actually finding you themselves. Yeah, I, I mean, to start off with, when I really said, okay, I'm going to move forward with this idea of a manufacturing millennial brand and, and kind of create this, you know, passion that I have into reality, um, it was a lot of upfront reaching out. But as the ball got rolling, more and more stuff was just able to come and filter into to my network of people liking and sharing. Um, and really, it seems like with, with the awesome community that's on LinkedIn, uh, the right people are able to find me. Uh, and, and that's what, that's what makes it so nice with LinkedIn being this professional network, but also this social network of, you have a lot of creators, you have a lot of thought thinkers, you have other influencers on LinkedIn, just like me, who are also, um, you know, creating content and sharing their passion and their story. Um, it's really become this phenomenal community that you're just able to reach and, and, and continue to have conversations with. Well, you shared with me that you, you're doing, uh, you know, around about two kind of podcast episodes per week. That's that's a lot of effort. So this has become more than just a little, you know, more than a marketing gig. It's uh, it's become a true passion, and it must take quite a quite some energy. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, outside my my day job, where I'm a business development manager for a systems integrator, and we help manufacturers and end users with modernization and industry 4.0 integration and creating roadmaps for their for their company you know my other quote-unquote full-time job is is linkedin where i'm able to have these conversations and be able to continue to reach deeper into the manufacturing and automation space um you know and and that's the great thing about it is you're able to watch these industries grow where we talk about the, the distribution and warehouse industry where before 2020 and COVID, you know, so many people were just buying products in, in stores. I mean, granted, Amazon was already pushing e-commerce, you know, to the next level. But after, you know, COVID and the shutdown happened, the e-commerce industry just boomed. Well, the e-commerce industry is a direct, you know, effect on the warehouse and distribution center of getting product out the door into customers' hands. Um, so just watching that industry grow and watching how much the the world of robotics and AGVs and AMRs is being integrated into these distribution and warehouse centers. It's just you're on the front line of of all this exciting stuff that's happening, and um, you get to see it firsthand on on LinkedIn. And that's why I love that social media platform um, so much more than than other ones out there. Yeah, I, building on that, I was just going to ask you. I mean, certainly my experience in much sh shorter time frame, like the last four, four months that we, we've had augmented, I've, I've learned so much from the people I've talked to. What would you say, you know, is what strikes you after, you know, I guess certainly two years of really intense conversation with the community? What are some of the things you've learned that perhaps surprised you? I mean, you know, because we're always, you know, we're situated in our own business with our own issues uh and you had this passion for millennials but what are some of the specific things that you have picked up along the way what, what do people that you speak to what do they care about what are some of the things that you uh discovered that the one thing that i've learned is there is a really phenomenal group out there that has the same passion for manufacturing and automation as i do um and it's a community that's willing to share and have conversations with where I feel like a lot of times companies are so 
uh, closed door to having discussions about what they're doing or how they're solving problems or how they're addressing things. Where I feel like in the manufacturing space, a lot of companies are, no, come in, see what we're doing, see how we're growing, you know, see what innovation we're pushing. And that's what's exciting to me. I mean, there's a great example of like Aaron Prather at FedEx. Uh, he has a great connection. I've learned over the years. We have we have conversations almost every day, it seems, where there's a bunch of really cool stuff happening at FedEx that's new technology with automation and AI and robotics, where they could keep all that information behind closed doors and not show what new innovation robotics are doing. But here they are just posting it all over YouTube and all over LinkedIn to share and say, hey, this is how we're addressing you know, high sortation issues within um, uh, you know, parcels and, and small packaging. But they're sharing that out there. And you have all these other companies who are sharing how they're addressing and solving problems. And that's one thing that was you know, surprising to me that I learned was people want to share the innovation that's happening. They don't want to just keep it to themselves. So that's a big um, uh, thing that I learned. Another thing that I learned was, um, you know, ninety between ninety-eight and ninety-nine percent of manufacturers here in the United States are small to medium-sized manufacturers. So when you look at the number of companies in, in the U.S. that represent manufacturing, a majority of them are small businesses. So that's where automation can really benefit these small businesses is make them more competitive to address their competition that a lot of times is happening overseas, which before was a cost issue. Well, overseas now is now automating. So a lot of these small, medium-sized manufacturers can now be a lot more competitive and help address the supply chain issues that a lot of manufacturers faced and that are still facing um, You know, as a result of just getting product. I saw a post on LinkedIn a couple of days ago where there's 50,000 vehicles just sitting in a lot right now waiting for computer chips because they can't get the chips from overseas right now. So right. that's addressing, you know, another industry and just raw materials, raw products. It really has focused on, on creating a revival, a new opportunity for reshoring to bring back a lot of manufacturing to these small to medium sized manufacturers. Um, so that's a big thing as well. Another big thing is when you look at industry 4.0 and that's a big conversation as well. That's happening is industry 4.0 solutions, everything from, augmented reality to like, you know, 3D printing where I have a 3D printer running behind me right now to robotics, to data, um, to simulations. A lot of this new technology is out there, but there's only like 15 or 20% of manufacturers that have actually implemented a strategy to, a, you know, implement and modernize industry 4.0 solutions into their manufacturing processes a lot of manufacturing companies out there still have not successfully implemented an industry 4.0 solution to create their old manufacturing processes and benefit them. And, and really one of those things is one, their competitors are, so they need to be. But number two is if you have a, if you have a machine that's 22 years old, where I think the average industrial manufacturing equipment in the industry right now is 23, 22 to 23 years old. That's the average age of industrial equipment in the manufacturing industry. No millennial or no Gen Z, and this is going back to earlier what we talked about, is going to want to work on a huge labor-intensive, boring process and, and call that their career. Call that, call that the, the purpose that they want to share. So when they're at a party with their friends or a family reunion, they're not going to say, oh, I work on a manufacturing line all day and I just put product in boxes. 
No one wants to share that because that's not exciting. What they do want to share is, oh, yeah, I work on a robotics line and I help manage the this automated robotics system that uses artificial intelligence to identify boxes to run through a depalletizing system. That's exciting. And, and yeah. implementing those solutions, one is going to attract the next workforce to continue to make companies viable in their production. So many manufacturers right now are not facing the issue of we need to be more profitable. They're facing the issue of we need more workers so we can actually fulfill the orders that we're getting. And so, Jake, how do you explain then the attraction that both of us and certainly everyone who really is deep into Industry 4.0 that we all see in these new technologies and, and their efficiencies, you know, right out there? What are the reasons why, why these, the, the biggest reasons why small and medium sized uh, manufacturers are struggling to adopt these technologies and approaches? fast enough because surely no one's sitting there and saying yeah yeah you know i don't believe in it it's not that they don't technically believe in it is it that it's expensive or you know to your point here with fame sostra you are a systems integrator is it that they just don't want to get in touch with systems integrators or they want to do it alone but they're scared of doing it alone and there is still kind of a adoption gap here maybe a generational gap in mm-hmm. leadership there could be so many things going on. I'm just curious what you think is is the biggest reason why, why the adoption isn't picking up. Yeah. So I would say Industry 4.0, when we're talking about it, is not a product. It's a mindset solution where the, the solutions that are out there are relatively cheap now. I can do predictive and preventative maintenance for a sensor for a couple hundred bucks now. It's not that expensive, but what is the, the, the difficult part is explaining to management, explaining to the higher level of a company, the benefits that this is going to take long-term. I can implement solutions for relative cheap and, and, and retrospective what was available five, 10 years ago. But if a company is not willing to then take that data, they are getting from their machine and act on it, that's where the solutions fail in the industry and why companies are implementing it. So it's not so much that the technology's not there, the technology's too expensive. It's the fact that a lot of these companies are set in their way. This is how we've done manufacturing for 30 years. So this is how we're going to continue to do it. And that's why when you look at the importance of millennials and Gen Z getting in manufacturing is they have that new thought process of why am I having an operator follow work instructions on a notebook that's been on the, you know, on the factory floor for 15 years that has zero quality checking, has zero opportunity, that has 100% opportunity for me to, you know, skip over work instructions where my setup process is then flawed. And I just failed my process where I'm going to now make a bunch of incorrect parts because I missed a step versus why not would I have those same instructions on an iPad or a tablet or a phone where it forces me to complete this process or you completed this process, scan that barcode to show me that you put that tool in place. Take a picture so you actually record the temperature or the position of it at. 
two, two of the same things. We're doing a setup process manually. We're doing a setup process on a phone. And I know you can't see that because my microphone's here. But, you know, you, you get what I'm saying here where it's this yeah. idea of they did it this way for so long. But you could do it this way, and people want to do it this way. Why? Because millennials and Gen Zs are on their phone all the time. So if you're yeah. saying, "Oh, I want you to do this setup now on your on a on a tablet," talk about familiarity. Why would why would a manufacturer want to change the way a person lives at home and their lifestyle sixteen hours a day, which is digitally on their phone, and then go back to an old process when they're at work? That makes no sense. I agree, but wouldn't you say that this is a bit of a systems uh, generational problem in terms of the technologies too, because many of the suppliers, right, they still supply these monolithic big systems that don't have very attractive, frankly, mobile interfaces. So, you know, some of the newer uh, companies, you know, startups perhaps typically come in and actually start mobile first or, or have an apps mindset. Uh, so that does help, right? Because it actually speaks the millennial's language. But are you starting to see that um, the technologies you serve, uh, you know, through systems integration, are they are they getting uh, mobile? Are they beginning to become apps and easy apps like that? Not just, you know, apps that actually, you know, are camouflaging it as apps, but they're actually, you know, real software solutions that you're... Abs- absolutely. You just like it. Yeah? A- absolutely. And, and that's what I'm talking about. The, the products are out there. The products are out there for companies to to implement. It's the mindset that companies need to say, I'm going to invest the time and the resources to go from paper to electronic. And, and it's, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm at a manufacturer who there's a guy whose literal job is to walk to seven different parts throughout their manufacturing facility. This is a... 400 to 500,000 square foot facility. And his job throughout the day is every two hours, he needs to walk to these places and manually write down the temperature that he's reading on here. And I say, why, why are you spending and having an operator do this when I can take a remote wireless system that we slap on and it will automatically data record throughout the day. Well, we're not doing that right now because we're, this is the and this is literally the answers that I've gotten is this is the way we've done it and it works. So here they have they're they're paying this operator literally to walk down walk around the facility every single day and record temperature. Yeah. Why? Well, that they're doing it because it, it, yeah, it, it is crazy. They're doing it because they they need to have traceability within their process where if they're doing something that goes wrong or something changes, they can go back and say, oh. The temperature on this dropped, and that's why this happened. Or, you know, an example of, you know, condition monitoring. But why would you do that? Why would you not implement a sensor that costs a couple hundred bucks to go back to a gateway to then record all of your data every 15 seconds, every 30 seconds, every minute instead of every hour? And now you can get completed data. You can get complete data trend lines throughout your day instead of this guy who is now taking it writing it on a piece of paper and then plugging it into an Excel sheet that then does nothing because all those are numbers in Excel sheet. There's no viewable information in terms of data trending or high points that's out there. And, and, and the thing is, the solutions are there. You know, I can put a, implement a SCADA system or some sort of visual-based screen where I can now monitor my data points and set alarms if things are trending to an upward or lower direction. 
Um, yeah. and, and that's just the one thing where it's about educating. And that's the whole thing that I'm doing with the manufacturer millennial is educating the community to drive conversation or if people are already educated, giving them tools and the solutions that they need to hopefully have successful conversations then with management or with their customers or clients on this is how we can successfully implement modernization and in the industry. So Jake, you are uh, basically working with millennial in two ways. You're, you're basically, I mean, you, you also are a millennial, but you are speaking to management, trying to convince them or actually teach them the mindset of the millennial. And but then you're also speaking to millennials about the attractiveness of these industries and the opportunities they have, you know, at least in the companies that have already seen the light. But even if these companies haven't seen the light, I'm guessing your sort of prediction is that as long as a few millennials kind of come in there, uh, the opportunities just are ample. So there's really no reason why uh, e- even companies with 23-year-old equipment, they're not going to stay like that for very long because they would, I guess, either go out of business or or they would at some point see the light, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, that's just one of those things where it's it's the company's decision if they want to pay for automation if if they need and I'm not saying automation for everyone I want to say that automation robotics modernization isn't for everyone you need to do a site assessment and an understanding of what your company's best direction is before you just begin implementing processes because that's another reason why industry 4.0 fails is people said oh yeah let's do it they went in there with a blind understanding of what they wanted to have as an outcome. So when nothing came of the initial investment they put in, either a capital or operational expense, and nothing came of it, they said, oh, Industry 4.0 is not for us. It's a myth. You know, so, so then what is the right way to do it, Jake? Because it's not. I mean, I guess that's why you have a following, right? It's, it's, it's complicated. So yeah, let's just say I am a, a, you know, a factory manager or, or you know, I'm in charge of a manufacturing facility and maybe I realize that I'm not a leader yet in, in industry 4.0, what, what would I do? Like, What is the correct path here? I mean, do you yeah, start I mean, so, by hiring millennials or do you start by teaching the technologies to yourself or, or do you just, uh, yeah, do you have to accept that there is a certain amount of experimentation in there that you, you may lose the first batch essentially or, you know, you might buy the wrong thing the first time? Yeah, I, I mean, it goes back to one of those things is, you know, you, you have a couple of options. One is you bring on board people who have successfully, you know, as an industrial engineer, implemented modernization and, and new technologies in the new manufacturing process. Or you work with companies like where I work with at Finesel Store, where we, we do site and network assessments of what their existing manufacturing processes are, what their existing machines are. And we, we basically do an analysis of, hey, this is the manufacturing you have on your floor right now. This is... And this is machines that are what we call industry 4.0 ready or, you know, data ready. There's a bunch of terminologies that are out there that are used. But the whole idea is the process of let's look at what your existing equipment or manufacturing process looks like. And let's begin to identify areas that we can begin to improve your productivity through the implementation of modernization or new automation. And and it's building that out where it's, it's one of those things where, if people were to go in and say, oh, you need preventative maintenance, we're actually having an understanding of what your what your company actually does 
or what your process actually looks like, that's where a bunch of red flags come up. And, and that's the whole entire thing that I, I've taken the idea from is don't sell a product, solve a problem. And I think that's one of those sayings that I have. And I, I mentioned a lot on products is, you know, if people just go in and try and sell you a product, then they're not helping you. They're harming you because they're not addressing your problem. And great. If their product is a solution to your problem, then that's a great match. But a lot of times if you're not going in there and you're not asking why, 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 and getting down to the firm understanding of where your company needs to improve, you might put a bandit on the problem, but you're sure not going to fix it. So, so with that, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, you're not in the business of recommending particular products or companies because you sort of did that the process is what's important to you. But what are some of the things that you've been excited about? being able to accomplish, uh, let's say, with your customers over the last year? Like, what are some of the true accomplishments you've been able to do by introducing Industry 4 mindsets and, and processes and, I guess, also products and apps into, into these workplaces? What are some of the things that they have achieved? I mean, it's, it's so exciting to see companies hit productivity that was beyond what they could imagine where they had these processes that have been running for 10 to 15 years, and they didn't even realize their processes were running at 40% OEE, which is the overall equipment effectiveness. And then you begin to implement these solutions and you say, hey, we're going we're gonna to actually start recording where all your faults are occurring on your process. And we're going to start recording when you have downtime, we're going to start looking, what is the reason for that downtime? And you, you walk them through in, in a sense, you're holding their hand of, hey, you have this machine that's 15 years old and you're making X amount of parts a week. And you begin to explain to them of, of what data monitoring and what machine monitoring can do and what upgrading equipment from a, a 15, 20-year-old PLC to something new can do for them. And, and walking along that journey where we've had case studies where a customer was running at 35% OEE and now they're running between 80 to 85% every week. So we virtually doubled their machines output and capability, not having to invest in a new capital machine, but taking their existing process and upgrading. I mean, that's, that's where the exciting stuff is, but it's also exciting just to see how companies are saying, Oh yeah, we got new contracts because now we have traceability within our manufacturing processes, which is what our customers are asking for now. And I think that's just the biggest thing where you have the big, you have the big companies out there, you know, like the SCJs, the Procter and Gambles or the PepsiCo's, you know, of the world, the, the, the giants. And they're going to their suppliers and they're saying, we really felt COVID at, and hitting our supply chain because we had no understanding of what our supplier's capability actually was. We just simply put in these POs and they gave it to us and great. But we never had, they never had an understanding of what risks their suppliers had. So now as you're working with these companies and the suppliers companies, you're creating a much more robust supply chain infrastructure that, that they can react on. And it's those ideas of an of a interconnected system of now a sales team 
can look at the manufacturing process and the output that's happening on a floor and say, oh, well, we have this order that came in for an RFQ. How quickly could we produce these you know, 50,000 parts? Well, let's see. They're having this information backlog. This has been their rough output per day with a 30-day average. We can now give an accurate you know, quote to our customer on when we can produce these products by. So I think it's the, the things that I've been excited about and I've seen just success in is successful implementation of these systems where people just now have so much more confidence and comfort with their own processes that they didn't have before. It's, it's helping them discover the unknowns that were there in front of them the entire time. You know, training is, is a key to a lot of this. And, you know, initially you, you spoke about the sort of the lack of need for everybody to, to go through a four-year college. But training somehow or another is still crucial, wouldn't you say, to some of these new, new things. And, you know, in the manufacturing industry, quality and process has been focused for, very, for a very long time, right, since Fordism, essentially, uh, introducing various uh, methods to, to try to track quality. What would you say, you know, is the, the best way to train your manufacturing workforce today? I mean, is it sort of just to find an optimal mix between those university-trained engineers and those journeymen that we spoke about? But, but certainly, it, you know, whether you have more of this or the other, how do you continuously train people on the job? Because that's, it would seem to me, you know, as technology does move fairly fast, Mm-hmm. It, it's both costly to train people, and if you do take them away from the work to, to, to train them, then you know not only are you paying them, but you, you know you now need to replace their positions as they're being trained. Are there other ways of doing this? Have you come up with some ways that you think training is going to have to happen? You know, as we move into this next decade. Yeah, so I, I think a couple of things that that you brought up, and there's some great points in there. One, I think, is a discussion we can have around worker retention where so many people are focused on, oh, we got to get more people to come work for us. We got to do this. We have to you know, attract more people. Well, what you really need to do is you need to make sure the current people who are working with you are going to stay working for you because that's where all the knowledge lies. And I think a lot of times HRs and manufacturing apartments lose sight of the fact of your value is in your current workforce. <laughs> and, and a lot of times is how do you make sure that your current workforce is being taken care of? And you need to then understand where are areas that we constantly have high turnover in. If, if, if you have areas that have high turnover and um, have constant people moving in and out, you need to address that area. And if that's an area that you need to add automation to or add some sort of assistance to through uh, implementing of a new system, that's where you need to address because that's where you're getting your turnover from. Um, and I think, you know, so operator retention is, or worker retention is arguably just as important, if not more important than new worker attraction. And, and when you're talking about training, I think that's one of those things too, is how are you continuously investing in your current employees to feel like they have a purpose within, within where they work? And I think continuing to invest in those new employees is what that's going to look like. In terms of um, how manufacturers can work with um, or how new man- how manufacturers can 
attract that next generation or begin to build up the diversity that they need within their company, I think a lot of it has to do with um, they need to realize that there's no legislation or regulation that's going to fix the current skill shortage and labor shortage that's out there. That's not going to happen by any sort of government regulation. What they need to focus on is how can they as an organization partner with their local community colleges, partner with their local nonprofit organizations like the MEP organizations that are in every single state um, or, or, or local nonprofits to grow the skills that are needed in the industry. And unfortunately, it's one of those things that you can't just flip on a switch and all of a sudden out, you know, start pumping these capable and ready engineers and skilled workers. It takes many years to grow and, and develop. And I would say I'm a, um, a, a living representation of that, where when I went to Grand Valley State University, where's where I got my engineering degree, I had an opportunity for a co-op program. So for three full semesters or a full year, I had the opportunity to work at a large machine builder to get my experience in controls programming, to get my experience in CAD design, to get my experience in robotics programming and business development. Then when I graduated college, I was industry ready. And that's the same thing with a lot of other programs out here is machine builders and manufacturers are investing in these training programs. So when those students graduate, they are skilled workers local to the community who are ready to begin working for those manufacturers. And those people graduating have already had a lot of times familiarity with those companies because they invested in them. They sponsored them. They created projects. They created opportunities to get hands-on experience. So they're going to go and want to go work for those companies because they invested in them. So that's how companies get ready for that is they reach out and they work with the local communities and colleges and, and educational systems to build that, that workforce that's needed. Um, and it's one of those things by 2028, so five, six, seven years away, they're saying there's going to be 2.4 million jobs that are unfulfilled as a result of new jobs that are being created that haven't even been available yet. And also the retiring workforce that is going to be retiring in the next six to seven years too, you're going to have 2.4 to 2.8 million jobs that are unfulfilled. So we have six, seven years to address those problems, but those problems need to begin addressed now. And that's how it's going to happen is it's not going to happen by any sort of regulation. It's going to be happening by companies taking the ownership and beginning to invest in the generation that is not ready to work yet, but will be in the future. Jake, Hence, I just have one more question. Well, exactly. So speak now directly to the Gen Cs. If you, when you advise, and I'm, you must meet these people all the time, right? When you advise young people who are on the cusp of, of their careers, and they are at that moment where they have to decide, you know, college, four-year college, two-year college, you know, associate degree, or straight to this offer from this local employer, that makes this great pitch about how you can come and work, you know, money right away and you'll get all this kind of training and, you know, you can always get education later. What, 
what are the choices? And if you sort of then project that person into five years, 10 years into the future, what does a successful path look like right now in manufacturing? Yeah. I mean, success is all... person who really wants to make the smartest choice right now. Let's say, you know, you even think you have the skills to go to college. It's more just, should I or should I not? Or should I do it later? And how do I kind of craft my journey here? Yeah. I mean, success is all in the person's mind of what they view as their own success. But what I would say is um, you have a senior in high school, right? We'll we'll talk about that. There's going to be a bunch of seniors that are going to be going to school and uh, starting in a month and and nine months, 10 months, they're going to be graduating and they're going to be ready to hit the real world. What does that look like? Um, and that's really depends on, on what their passion is. If, if they like this idea of, oh, I want to work in a manufacturing space and I want to work with robots all day, and that's what my passion is, great. You don't need an engineering degree to work with robots. You could use a mechatronics degree. If you have a person that just simply says, hey, I, I just want to have a healthy 40 to 50 hours of work week, and, and I just want to graduate with as much debt as possible and start working, great. Join an apprentice program. And they'll pay for your training right away. And, and the, the great, and that's why I, I preach about it. I don't necessarily have an answer for you because there's so many different paths that can kind of lead to any point. You know, you can, if you want to be a senior controls engineer, great. You can go to college and get a manufacturing engineering degree and take all these classes and courses that you can graduate with and you can enter the workforce that way. Or you can become a journeyman electrician and become then a master electrician work on a master electrician and get your hours in that way. And then take that experience you have to develop panels and build panels. And then when you build panels, you get in familiar with PLCs and controls and design and you're, you're, you're following that path. So, I mean, the path isn't necessarily a, uh, a, a closed book of what direction you need to follow. What I would say though, is if you, no, if you don't know if you want to be an engineer and you want to put that time commitment and that money investment, then don't feel like you need to get an engineering degree. Getting a four-year, in my opinion, getting a four-year degree does not give you any larger uphand than someone else does when you both have the same experience in the industry. Where we're working at, where I work at Fine Zelstra, we, ha- we cannot find enough level one, level two level three controls engineers or technicians right now. We just, we simply can't fulfill enough people because of the demand that's out there. So if a guy comes to me and says, I have five years of Rockwell or Siemens experience or whatever PLC company that's out there, I don't care if they went to college or not. If they worked for a reputable end user where they had a bunch of experience, that's all I need. I don't care that they went to this university and got a four-year electrical engineering degree because that electrical engineering degree isn't going to solve my current need for a person who can support my end user with PLC upgrades. You know, so it, it goes back to that thing of this is necessary depends on how you get to your end goal of having that industry experience. It's just, do you have that industry experience? So, I mean, if you're in, and I guess to kind of answer your question and give a little bit more, you know, of a firm answer, if, you love the idea of being on the entrepreneur side of engineering, of developing new systems and vision and algorithms and AI and all that stuff, then yeah, an engineering degree might be for you. 
if you like this idea of I want to work on a manufacturing line and be responsible for this automation cell and tend to these robots and all that stuff, great. And a mechatronics or associate degree might be just as much as what you want. If you want to be a person, I want to program things and make things, great. A journeyman's electrician and then going into a program to be, you know, get experience in, and that might be right for you too. Um, and the other thing as well is, you know, I, I kind of want to address of not even just seniors, but people who've been in the industry for 15, 20 years who might be listening to that podcast and say, I want a career change. The great thing about manufacturing is there's so many open resources like on YouTube, as you mentioned, that give so much free training to program PLCs, to program SCADA systems. You know, there's a company out there called Inductive Automation that has their ignition software where it's completely free. You can download it and it's just on a two, two hour cycle. So you have to restart the program every two hours, but you can get that experience of becoming a gold certified ignition programmer who, if you're good, you're going to make six figures a year pretty easily, um, you know, and have that experience where if you, if you know that software and you teach yourself and you go through their classes, great. And that's what a lot of manufacturers are doing. And that's a whole other conversation because I know we're getting close on time here, but that's another whole conversation on how manufacturers need to just get their product in front of people's hands more because stop, stop, stop closing your, your product behind a paywall because I guarantee you the people who are trying to get in the industry, they're going to take the free source over a paywall any day. So when they're ready to hit the industry, people who are familiar with Autodesk, who I can, you know, download their CAD software for free and teach myself how to do, you know, design work versus another system out there that I have to pay a thousand dollars a year for an annual license. I know what software I'm going to teach myself on, but fascinating. That's another, that's a whole other discussion for another time. Well, well, you'll, you'll come back and you'll, uh, you'll tell us about that too. It's, it's great to have such enthusiastic uh, guests on the show. I, I really thank you for, for sharing these uh, observations because I, I can understand why millennials uh, get attracted to this and, and also people who want to understand and bring in millennials, which is such a, a massive challenge too. Well, um, I wish you best of luck with uh, continuing your work and I will be checking back in with you, Jake. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, sure. All right, Jake, I'm going to stop the tape, but please stay with me because it needs to uh, upload, obviously. So uh, I, I need you here for that. You have just listened to episode 53 of the Augmented Podcast with host Trondarne Unheim. The topic was Manufacturing Millennials. Our guest was Jake Hall, podcaster, the Manufacturing Millennial and Business Development Manager at Fane Sagestra a Grand Rapids, Michigan, U.S.-based systems integrator. In this conversation, we talked about the future generation in manufacturing. My takeaway is that millennials are the key to the future of manufacturing, not just because they are a talent pool needed in the workforce, but because they have the right mindset for change, which is so beneficial to a manufacturing industry faced with the challenges and opportunities of Industry 4.0, or smart manufacturing, using digital solutions. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 11, Empowering Workers to Innovate, episode 3, Reimagine Training, or episode 12, Enterprise-Wide Quality of Manufacturing. 
Augmented, upskilling the workforce for Industry 4.0 frontline operations.